Welcome to Between Sets. On this episode, we discuss club structure and how you can take a club from amateur level up to professional level. We also give you some details on the 2018 Barbell Series, which will be kicking off in Melbourne. We hope you enjoy. G'day all and welcome to another episode of Between Sets. My name's Simon and as always, I'm here with my main man, Daz. How you been, mate? Yeah, well, thanks, mate. How you been? Yeah, not too bad. Sort of uh, recovering from uh, the Commonwealth Games and all the drama that unfolded there. I don't know about you. Were you uh, watching? I'm sure you were. <laughs> I, I was watching. <laughs> <laughs> just, just a little bit, couple couple of minutes each day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What were, you, what were your overall impressions? Um, yeah, not... Uh... <laughs> it's, it's, I think I think it was a great opportunity for weightlifting to be put into the mainstream of Australian sport, and um, and I don't think it paid off for a couple oh. of reasons. Yeah, yeah. Well, we didn't do too bad overall. Uh, snuck a few medals, some great performances, um, a lot to build on. Hopefully, we do capitalise on it. Yeah. But that's that's um what I wanted to talk about today. I wanted to tap into your business mind a little bit about uh the sport of weightlifting. And talking about, you know, what can we do to build clubs or how do we build a club and what what are the things you're looking for when you're starting up a club? Yeah, let's let's do it. So um the first thing for that comes in mind when we when I work as a consultant with uh sports or businesses is we look at the why. So why do you want to start a club? And then once we get from the why, then Usually it's because, you know, people have a passion for the sport. They want to develop the sport. They want to give back to their, to their sport because they love it, which is all extremely valuable and very reasonable desires to, to want to do that. But then you've got to look at, you can't just, you know, you can't pay bills with passion. So you've got to be able to, to understand where you fit in the scheme of things against your competition. Now, like it or not, a lot of people, don't like the word competition. They think that if you offer a great service, there is no such thing as competition. Yeah. That, that's not true because the banks don't see that. So if you're looking for a loan, they don't care that you're all in a community and helping each other. They need to see what is your immediate competition compared to the service you provide in a given area and, and where you fit in, in the, uh, your expertise level to see if you're going to be successful or not. So. Long-winded question, long-winded answer, sorry. So you go back to the person who wants to start the club or start that business and you look at them as an individual. So as a coach, so normally they'll want to start as a coach. They have to, to have a very honest self-reflection session and look at what they offer uh, in terms of expertise. And I break it down in three levels. So there's the amateur level, the semi-pro level, and the professional level. Okay. <clears throat> So with those levels, amateur level is they're a new coach or they've never worked with serious athletes. They're passionate about the sport, obviously, but they want to get into the business and they want to earn a living um, helping people. And in this particular case in weightlifting, so they want to earn a living helping people learning how to snatch and clean and jerk, which is very admirable. Yeah. The next level is semi-pro level. So they, they'll want to have the... The gen pop, general population people coming in at the amateur level, but they'll also want to tra- have transition athletes. So athletes that go, shit, you know, like I don't mind this weightlifting thing. I might make a go of it and see if I can get to state level, national level and beyond. So yeah. 
that semi semi pro coach, they've got to be able to, to facilitate that. And then you've got the professional level, which is uh, guys and girls who coach actual professional athletes. Um, there's the demands on on success are huge because you obviously have to charge huge and and all that sort of stuff. So once once you know who you are and what you can offer, then you can start building your business model around that. Oh, okay. So what sort of challenges are involved? So if we take your three levels and we say, all right, we've got amateur, semi-pro and professional, what challenges do you have trying to be a professional coach providing a professional service in an amateur sport? Yeah, super hard. Um, first, you've got to know what you're worth. Yeah. <laughs> so you can't give away what you do. So just as an example, um, I've been involved in the SNC community since 1989 yeah. as, as a player and as someone who, like I interned a lot, um, to get to get better and all this sort of sort of stuff. So over th- that whole you know lifetime of career, I've spent upteen dollars like developing yeah. myself. So there's no way I'm gonna give away what I've spent money on for nothing. Like I have to get money back. It's the same yeah. thing. Like if you're a doctor, you get a university for four plus three years. There's a reason you charge X amount of dollars because your education costs you X amount of dollars. That's just a fact of life. So it's very difficult. So you can't really open up a professional shop or professional gym unless you've already worked with professional athletes. So which means you've transitioned from an existing club and you want to start a new club. That's doable, but um, starting off from scratch is impossible. You can't do that because you don't have the runs on the board or the emotional equity to or reputational equity to prove that you are at that level and you deserve to be paid at that level. So yeah. most people will start at, at amateur level slash semi-pro level. Oh. All right. So if, if we move on a little bit to sort of the money aspect of it, like how much do we money. charge? Yeah, the money. It's all about the money for you. Yeah, it's got to be. <laughs> but that, that's it. So how, how much are we? How much are we charging? And I mean, I'll break this down to two parts. And if we're opening a business or opening a club and we yeah. don't uh, see ourselves coaching and we bring in coaches, yep. how much are we paying them? What's the split? What should, uh, what's a good structure for us to look into? Yeah. So we can't talk actual numbers because we yep. don't, we don't know an actual facility, Okay. But, but what you will do, you will work backwards from your rent. So you right. look at the facility that you want to have. So, you know, uh, like the CrossFit model, you're looking at like garage sheds from anywhere from 10 by 20, uh, even smaller sometimes. Yeah. So you're looking at the facility and how much that's going to cost you. So for weightlifting uh, terms, you would. I'm assuming you would want at least three or three platforms and an area with that off to the side that you can work your strength and conditioning. Yeah. Because weightlifting is not strength and conditioning. There's a big, big difference. Yeah. So that means you've got space theoretically for four platforms, but you've only got literally three platforms. And then my, our personal gym rule is four pers- four people per platform. That's the okay. Max, that's the max we'll accept. So from that, that means in one in one given session, I've only got fifteen people. Oh, I'm sorry, sorry, twelve people lifting. That's then, good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then uh, and then in that that S and C area, then I could have another three. So that's fifteen people in a yeah. given in a given hour. Yeah. So then I've got to work my my rent. Divided by that fifteen, and that'll give me a, 
how much roughly I can charge per session per person. And then, and then I'll build from that because you, you need to know your break even point and it's always rent first. Like, yeah. um, for a weightlifting gym, it's, it's not high volume typically. So you obviously you've got to look at your outgoings, but the, yeah. ma- the major thing is, is rent like floor space and how many people you can fit on that floor. Yeah. So, so what's, what's the equation there? So is it rent plus staff divided by customers oh, basically? There's, there's literally like, there's literally like one equation in my, <laughs> I just had an exam. Yeah. One equation has got 32 uh, components to one equation. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm good with simple math. Like yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's a, if we keep it simply, just look at the rent yeah. and look at how many yeah. people per hour you could facilitate, then look yep. at how many sessions per week you can offer. And then you'll then you'll figure out your break even point, right? Because as somebody's starting off, you're I'm assuming that initially you're going to get paid nothing, like dick, yeah, and, and it'll just be you, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, what's the next step after this? All right. So we know uh, we've got our facility, we've got our rent. Yep. What what are the what are the basic startup costs? So you talked a little bit. You know, got three platforms. But obviously, you, you've got to lift something on those platforms. Otherwise, you look like a little bit of a dickhead. That's but uh, yeah, what, what, what are our equipment costs? Uh, are there ways we can go about getting cheaper equipment? Does the quality of equipment matter? Like when we're trying to sell our business, what's the best way to go about this? Yeah, so then you've got to reflect back again on your level as a coach. So you can go with a really grungy look if you're at an amateur level. And get secondhand equipment, which I personally love the idea of. But I'd, I'd put, I'd spend money on on really nice bars, on yep. lifting bars. In terms of the bumpers and the steel and the change plates, I reckon go secondhand. I reckon that would be epic. Um, just you know, it creates character, but it, it fits in with your amateur. Again, I, I mean amateur as in level of ex- expertise, not as in attitude. Yeah. So um, it, it'll fit in with that with that expectation from your client. It's like, yeah, I pay X amount of dollars because Daz is just starting out. Um, he's very good. He's passionate. He's always attentive, blah, blah, blah. But this is, this is where I'm at and that's what I'm paying for. That's sweet. Semi, semi pro, the, the athlete's expectation of the service is going to be more. Therefore, you're going to have to spend more money on gear. And then professional, professional can go two ways. You can either give them all the bells and whistles and they'll, they'll not enjoy it. They'll know, yeah. that, they'll know that you're full of shit or you give them none of the bells and whistles and they think, oh, shit, where's all my money going? Like I, yeah. I don't see all the, the, all the bling. So <clears throat> as, as a professional advice, as, yeah, professional advice to start up businesses, don't even worry about professional athletes. They're, they're yeah. a pain in the ass. Um, yeah, so in terms of expense, again, you just always brush it off yourself. So I know there's great, you know, give AlphaFit a bit of a plug. They have... <laughs> Great equipment, and yeah. uh, for for in our gym we use a, an outfit lifting bar, and the com- the comparison to an Alico bar is yeah yeah you know, it's not the same obviously but it's damn close like, yeah it's pretty close for literally a fraction of the price, so I'm I'm happy with Alphafit. I haven't tried any of the Rogue equipment lately, um, but Alphafit's yeah. great. Obviously Alico if you can grab it. Oh, great stuff. Go for Got to give Alico a plug. We're, yeah. we're lucky enough to train at Hawthorne yeah. in the Alico Victorian Weightlifting Stadium with the equipment. It's great. Um, yeah, amazing stuff. Yeah. Um, 
In ten, and, but then it's it's like, how do you want to coach as well? So that determines how much equipment you need. So yeah. I highly recommend that you have an area for just strength and conditioning. So when you program the accessory stuff, the athlete, your lifters can use it. And also you can potentially offer memberships to non-lifters or to the casual lifter. It's like, you know, I just want to lift, do the Olympic lifts twice a week, but I just want to get my jack on. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, fucking do it. Come in, get jacked. Right. And what's your sort of basic pricing structure? Like, well, we know you're charged to your level of service, basically, but what sort of services are you offering? Do do we go, all right, we're only doing weightlifting classes or just like you mentioned, the people that just want to get their jack on? Yeah. Uh, do you have open sessions? How do you structure it? Where's the um, where's the balance? And what do you, what do you give more towards? Yep, great question. Again, I've got to defer back to what level of coach you're at because yep. um, uh, at an amateur level, you typically will have a full-time job. So you'll work nine to five elsewhere and then you'll want to do the, you want to coach your weightlifting at the end of the day because you're passionate about it. So I, I get it. I love it. So what you charge will always come back to what you offer. So if you're only coaching, if you're only available to coach in the afternoon, that means you're only, your clients can only access your club or your gym, you know, five days, six days a week. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. So then you have to charge accordingly. Um, so it, it actually turns around where you'll be charging less because you can't offer them what they want when they want it. Then you've got semi-pro, which means you've probably got, you've, you might have another job still, but you're offering classes of a morning, of a night. So uh, members of your gym or your club will have the opportunity to do double days, yeah. which means you can charge them more because they're using the gym more. They should charge more. It's not the it's not the other way around. A lot of people get the other way around a lot wrong. They'll be like, oh, if you sign up for you know, $100 a week, you can access the gym as much as you want. I'm mm. like, well, no, that's wear and tear. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, if you're using our programs, I might not want you to do a double day at a particular stage of the training and all that sort of stuff. Then if you're a professional, obviously that is your job. So yeah. you'll be available from, you know, or if you look at myself from 5 in the morning until 8 p.m. at night, like yeah. this is what you do. So you'll be charging accordingly. So um, the, you'll be basing it on your clientele. So you're just say you're an amateur coach and you want to attract beginners because in your given area there's more beginners and and at an amateur level you might be more comfortable coaching beginners so you can you can get more people there's more volume of people so you can charge a little bit less yeah. semi-pro you you want to offer very particular service very particular programming very t- particular support exercises for each individual and as a group so you're going to have to charge more because that's more of your time. And then uh, for professional athletes, you know, they're on the world stage. They they need to perform and they also need to pay to guarantee yeah. that performance because the, the bigger thing too is as a coach, rule number one is that you're not to sacrifice your life for somebody else. Like you're okay. doing it because you're passionate, but it's just like first aid principles. Like if I see someone drowning... I don't just jump in the water and fucking swim out to them. I have to, I have to assess danger first. Yes. So business is exactly the same. So it's, I want to offer this service. You know, 
Simon wants to coach Daz because he's he's really passionate about about weightlifting. Daz has said, "Yeah, I really want to do it, man." And so Simon's going to give up, you know, forty hours of his life a week for Daz. But Daz doesn't give a fuck about what he eats. He drinks like a fish. He doesn't mm. turn up to training half the time. So Simon is eventually going to drown. That business is eventually going to drown because he's he's committed. He's more committed than what his athlete is. Yeah. So you've always got to assess that danger. And the danger is, am I giving the effort and the resources appropriate for that athlete's level of commitment? That's a, that's a great answer to that. Uh, I know myself being in that position, and I'm sure there are a bunch of weightlifting coaches out there that are drowning and they're not sure that they are. But yeah. um, it's uh, – yeah, that, that's, that's a great answer and it's really uh, something to think about the dangers involved in um and the level of commitment but on the dangers i guess the sort of the elephant in the room for everyone i think a lot, a lot of weightlifting specific coaches that i've spoken to their main uh certification is through the ncas level one level two uh in weightlifting yeah. and all of them seem to say yep yeah, oh good no i've got my insurance now through that what what's the what's the go oh, i'm covered what, what are we doing with insurance does well you don't have to be um here's like Australia is different. You do not have to have any level of training to be insured. Okay. So if you see a course you don't think's worth it, then don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> like insurance, insurance is king. So you, okay. you must be insured. So in Australia, um, physical training, like personal training, is deemed as a sport. And with yep. all sports, there's an inherent risk. So if I play rugby and someone breaks my nose then yeah. I don't get to sue that player. I don't get to sue their club. It's because when I go to the court of law or arbitration, they go, mate, you were playing rugby and you break your nose. What did, what did you expect? You know, it's not people. Yeah. So, you know, if you're running a weightlifting gym, you've instructed somebody on how to do something correctly, they've spazzed out and had an accident, you're going to be okay. You're not going to be sued. It's fine. Yeah. It's because you are insured. Um the nature of business, though, is that you'd need to be insured anyway. Like, like running. Just say you you want to run some sessions out of your home garage. You're nuts. Yeah. You're nuts. Don't do it. Like that is just stupid. That's again, you're failing that first rule of first aid. You're not assessing the danger. Yeah. You, you're you're putting yourself in a in a predicament. So just don't don't do that. Right. Yeah. Um. What what sort of insurance should be should we be looking at getting? Um, well, it depends on what you want to offer. So with my consulting business, GCS Training, yeah. we're launching a health performance sector of the business, yep. which goes into analyzing blood work and making recommendations on vitamins and minerals and nutrition and lifestyle practices. So with that, we've just got medical indemnity, which is extremely expensive. It's the same level that doctors have, yeah. um, which is over the top, but that allows me to sleep at night. Yeah. So, so no one can say, oh, Daz told me to, to sleep, you know, eight hours a day and my boss sacked me because I've been turned up to work late. Well, yeah. Yeah. That, that covers that sort of scenario. Yeah. Um, I think the cheapest personal trainer insurance, I think if you're unqualified, like you haven't got a certification, like you're three or four or, or what yeah. have you, I think it's like 280, $280 a year. Yeah. Um, and that, that will cover you as well if you're in your own um, premises but i think to ensure a premises offhand depending on the size and the amount of clients you service and that sort of stuff it could be anywhere from 280 up to 5000 but i think yeah. the, i think the average is only is only like 
1800, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. We've got like a really, I can recommend in show notes, I can recommend someone. Um, yeah. Give him a plug. I can't remember the name of his business, but Jeff looks after our stuff and he's been fantastic. So yeah, in show notes, if anyone wants to reach out to Jeff, um, yeah. I'll, I'll put the, the link in there. That would be fantastic. But uh, just, just as uh, say I'm starting up my own club based out of a you know little shed, little warehouse sort of thing, I'm going to be the only coach there. What do I need? You I need, need, you need help. <laughs> yeah. Well, obviously, guys, that's why I'm reaching out, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need public liability and yeah. uh, that's pretty much all you need. Yeah. Then, then you can go into, in, you know, if you own your own home and all this sort of stuff, then you can go into the particulars of what you need. But you, you need public li- uh, public indemnity, public liability. Um, yeah, I think we've got 20 and 20. I think yeah. that I was talking to someone actually the other week and they're, they're thinking that it's going to go up to 40 and 40 or 50 and 50. This is this is millions, you know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that'll be interesting. I, I don't know the reasoning why and I can't remember how they come up in conversation, but. It's all. It's always changing, and it's yeah. You know, it's just something that you need. It's a bulletproof vest. You need to need to get one. Yeah. All right. So our business is up and running. We're probably at the semi-pro sort of stage. Yep. Uh, levels of coach and the service we're providing, and we want to bring some other people on board. Yep. Risks and um, things that we should be worried about or concerned about, or definitely assessing before we bring on a new staff member. Yeah, it's a tough one. Like finding staff is just really difficult mm. and um, it's always difficult. So um, age is a factor. Yeah. So if you're a semi-pro level, it's not going to matter so much. But, you know, you might bring a person on and they could be, you know, 28 plus mm. and they've got, you know, they're trying to set themselves up for life as well. So, yeah. you know, they want to buy a house, start a family, have a car, go on a holiday, all that sort of stuff. Your business not might not be a great fit for them because they you might not be able to pay them enough to facilitate that. Now, in in desperation, you might employ that person um, because he or she is great. They tell you all the right things. They're happy with you paying minimal. Um, but eventually, they'll get tired and they'll think, well, fuck this. Why don't I do this myself? And they'll go yeah. out and start their own shop. And then you've just created a competitor instead of instead of uh, nurturing that person. And it can work the other way too. It's like, look, yeah. um, I've been in a scenario where I've paid o- like overs for staff. Mm-hmm. And because I've paid them too much, the expectation is, well, if, if Daz is paying me X, then he must be earning Y. Yeah. Fuck this. I'll go do this myself and I'll earn X and Y. And yeah. the, re- the reality is not, not there. So mm-hmm. I, I always used to pay overs just because – you know, I always wanted to be my dream boss. If I was working for me, I wanted it to be awesome. Um, and it's not its not the way to go. Um, so you've got to look at the person's age and you've also got to look at the, the person's level of experience. So if you're at semi-pro level and you want to bring someone on, typically, typically it's when somebody is like, well, you know, like I'm getting a little, a little bored or a little blasé coaching beginners. So I'd like to see if I can take an athlete further. I want to see if I can take an athlete to state level or national level. So what you want to do, well, what that person will do is like focus on these potential athletes. And I want another staff member to come in and look after beginners. And again, eventually that person looking after beginners is going to feel exactly how you feel at, at some point. And are you paying them accordingly for that 
for that service? Are they are they happy doing that? Are they are they capable of doing that? Like you might have somebody who comes from a professional level, it's just moved town and it's like, oh dude, yeah, I need a job, blah blah. I've worked with XYZ lead athletes and all that sort of stuff. And then you're like, oh great, I'll get you coaching the beginners. The and the beginners will love it. Yeah. And eventually that person will get jack of it. Not because he doesn't like the beginners, but it's it's usually if they're professional, that's their career. And if you're not challenging your career, then you look elsewhere. That's what everyone does yeah. in any business. So is the is the way to go perhaps uh, the whole take take over the world approach where you you create a structure where you start your business, you bring in your first client, and you train them up. Oh, sorry, your first employee, you train them up. They work for you for a couple of years, then their job becomes train the next person. And you work through that tier two, you're employing an amateur coach, a semi-pro coach, a professional coach. And when they're finally jack of it, they start up a secondary location for you. Is that is that a model that works? You or? are a genius. That, yeah, I that, so. is, that is the model. Whether yeah. it works or not is very difficult. Yeah. So a, a lot of – because it is it is quite easily financially to, to start up a, a small training business, whether it's yeah. a club, like a weightlifting club or, or a CrossFit gym or, or a personal PT gym, it's very financially accessible. But when somebody like, – but you do need an entrepreneurial mindset. You do need a yeah. big set of brass balls to take a jump and, and back yourself. And people who approach other people for jobs – and. I'm not putting shit on them. They don't necessarily have that entrepreneurial um, uh, blood running through their veins. So when it comes time to start up a second location, they might not want to do it. Yeah. And and that can cause a log jam in your staff development. So it might be like, you know, Simon has brought Daz up through the ranks. Simon's now transitioning into maybe retirement or he mm. wants to lessen his workload. Okay, Daz, I want you to step up. And then Daz is like, fuck, I'm quite happy just being an employee. I don't really want to step up. And, yeah. and then Simon's like, fuck, I've, you know, I've spent five years developing you. Yeah. yeah. And then, then they'll, they'll create like a, a little disconnect within the internal structures, the internal governance of the business. And that, that's potentially a problem. And then what's going to happen is you're going to have to leapfrog Daz, promote someone else. Does will get the shits because you've overpromoted someone, and then yeah. it, it can cause a bit of an issue. Yeah, um, I, I've seen that myself. That yeah, I've seen that um, not within my businesses, but I've seen it in other people's businesses that I work with. That yeah, exact scenario. Yeah. And uh, there are ways we can uh, avoid this from the start. Uh, is is it as simple as a conversation, a contract? What yeah, are there ways we can circumvent that scenario? Yes, there is. And if I can use the dirty word for a lot of weightlifters, CrossFit, yeah. as an example. Ooh, as an I example. do. I do. Yeah. So CrossFit HQ, there's yeah. quite a lot of people that want to work for CrossFit HQ. It's their dream to work for, for HQ at some level, wanting to be a part of the show, whether it's ego because they see the social media that CrossFit staffers get or it's the paycheck, they want to work for a good paycheck or it's like the uh, job security. It's like, I, you know, CrossFit's not going anywhere. It's only getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, CrossFit, not the sport. Um, yeah. So they, they'll think, like, I want to get in the show. What they need to do is to look back and analyze every staff member of CrossFit HQ. And, and then you'll realize that, okay, the average age 
of the perceived staff of CrossFit is between 32 and 47 years old. That means they're not going to retire for another 20 to 30 years. Yeah. That means there's no job opportunities at CrossFit HQ for the next 30 years. And you'll see people headbutting themselves against the wall thinking that, you know, if I kiss this little bit of ass or if I overextend myself or if I do this and that for free, I'll get in the door. And those opportunities are rare, 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 rare. Um, So you don't want to hold out on hope for one of those positions. It's the same thing within if you approach a weightlifting club or a personal training facility. If you look at Daz and go, okay, Daz is 43, Daz isn't going to retire for another 25 years, if ever. You know, hopefully, I'm like, <laughs> hopefully I'm like Louis Simmons and just, you know, like a fucking unstoppable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Daz isn't going to retire for another, you know, whatever it is, years. That means I can't be in charge of this for whatever many years. So then you've got to look at someone's aspirations level. Now, if that, and if that um, spurs them on, that's actually a good thing because it's like, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to develop you and we'll put you into another facility where you do get to be the boss of that facility. Yeah. Then, but then you'll have other people that's like, well, fuck, you know, I just want to, I just want to coach people how to do air squats for the next forty years, and I'm fine. Yeah, with that. and that's fine too. Yeah. But, um, those people are usually won't transition to a professional coach because to transition to a professional coach, you've got to be really driven. You've got to have an insatiable thirst for learning, and and what comes with that is career progression. So people who aren't particularly keen on learning too much, they're they're suited at amateur level. Because they're quite happy in their box, which is totally fine. It's, there's nothing wrong with that. And they're quite happy doing that and they don't need to do any extra and then they're good. I liken it to like a police officer. You've got general duties then you've got detectives. Yeah. That, that highway copper, he might be a highway policeman for like 30, 40 years and he's totally fine serving the community that way. And then you've got other detectives that go into forensics and all that sort of stuff because they, they enjoy the community in very specific, highly detailed ways. Yeah. So, so what's the interview process? So I, I, I sit down and I, I need I need a beginner coach, I need a semi-pro coach, I need a professional coach. I need someone who's potentially going to take over the business from me one day so I can sit back on my ass and just watch the money roll in. Yeah. What, what questions am I asking? What do I want? What's the personality type I want to attract? Okay. Don't ask the where do you see yourself in five years question. It's, All right. That, it, that goes off the list. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's um. Yeah, keep that to your Tinder dates. That's, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, that's just a useless question, and everyone's got a rehearsed bullshit answer to that. So yeah. it comes back to why do you want to do it? Like, yeah. why we started the business is because we want to help people with weightlifting. We love it. It's a it's a beautiful sport. It's pure, and we want it to show people the benefits of that. All yeah. for all aspects of their life. And then, so that's yeah. why we got into it. Then yeah. you want to have a similar answer for someone else. Um, mm. my, uh, the, the group, the, the community of people that I draw from with coaches now is from mm. health professionals. Mm. So obviously it's very difficult unless their resume is outstanding. It's difficult for my business to pay someone at my age yeah. because they've got, a family work, uh, family home, car repayments, all this sort of stuff. And my business can't afford another me. So yeah. 
I have to look at, at younger people who are looking to get into the health sciences because they're interested in human movement. They've also got a, because they're, they're in the health sciences, they've got a, an innate um, level of, of empathy for people. They want to see people do well. They want to help people. They want to cure people. They want to heal people. And so that's the attitude that I look for. Yeah. Um, so they tend to be typically younger because they might still be at university or they've just come out of university. And I don't expect them to offer full-time hours because I cannot offer a full-time salary. Yeah. Okay. What's the... um. What's the magic bullet, mate? I come in to an interview trying to get a job with you. What do I have to say? And also I'll show working. I'll show my working and, you know, everything. But what's an answer you want to hear to all your questions? What's the, what, what can I say that gets me employed? Uh, are you willing to, to work hard? And work hard doesn't mean digging holes. It, it yeah. actually means – so in, in my business, I give, I give mentor – like we have a mentor program which is not for many because it's quite expensive. It's like a yep. degree outside of university and, yep. and the costs match um, because we are training somebody up to be a potential business leader. Um, so, you know, again, I've spent so much money on my career. It has to come back. Yeah. Um, I want somebody who's going to work hard. So when we set assi- work assignments, like research assignments, they're, they're going to do the work and they don't yep. just do bare minimum. Um, I remember, oh fuck, I remember six years ago now, I, we had a group of, of 10 interns and I set this work assignment. Out of the 10, nine essentially copied and pasted Wikipedia on, yeah. this, on this particular topic. And, and I was like, fuck me. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that attitude is not great. But yeah. for, for weightlifting, I want someone who's, who's willing to do the work and is passionate. They can pull numbers out of their ass. They know who the international weightlifters are. Yeah. They're, in, they're interested in helping people. And they've also, they've also got a good eye, an eye for detail. They don't have to be like amazing, but they have to be able to see. So and another example is like we have, um, this is a shameless plug, but we're setting up an online course. You're out of control. GCS training. Yeah. Um, and we've had to do so much fucking filming for it. It's, it's off the charts. Anyway. What we'll do is we'll, I'll set up a, a demo athlete and we'll go through some things and I'll make this demo athlete um, perform faulty technique. And then I want to see that person pick up on, it doesn't have to be like um, the, the nuances of lifting, but I want to see this, this person pick up on gross motor problems. Yeah. If they can see gross motor problems, I can work with them. But if they're like a deer in headlights and they're just like, oh, fuck, I don't know what's going on. It looks okay to me. I can't really work with them. Yeah. Because there's, you know, but it could be a couple of factors for that. They're, they're overawed because they know it's an exam or they, they're really new to weightlifting and they just don't know. Yeah. Um, but generally, yeah, I need someone who's going to work hard and someone who actually gives a shit about the sport. Yeah. All right. So we, we have our business now. Um, we're paying our employees. We're making money. What's uh? What are the next steps? Because I'm looking. I'm looking at the future of the sport at the moment, and going. We are two years from Tokyo, Olympic Games. Then we got Birmingham in 2022, and then we got another Olympic cycle straight after that. All right, six years, Daz. We've got six years to start producing athletes. All right, to to get the current ones we have in tip top shape. Yep. What do we need to be doing? What's what's the structure for us, uh, club level, state level? 
Well, for me, we've got breathing space of about three months because yeah. when the weight classes change, up until yeah. then, everything is, is fucking pointless. Yeah. So I've had a whole bunch of people contact me about coaching them and I'm like, look, just go on fucking holiday yeah. for, th- for three months. Nothing matters because competing against an imaginary opponent is just fucking stupid because people are going to have to um, move up or move down and that requires body composition changes. And then so, you know, if you... If you want to, um, one particular person can squat a truck. So there's no point, you know, that person squatting a truck for the next three months and then finding, yeah. oh, fuck, I've got to lose five kilos. Yeah. <laughs> or then, yeah. oh, shit, that truck wasn't big enough. I've got to put on five kilos, you know? So, yeah. So for, for everyone out there, focus on your GPP, your general physical uh, performance. Get your, spend this time getting your body right. And yep. then once we know what's happening, then fucking go for it. Um, in terms of weightlifting in Australia, people who are in charge of their clubs, like CEOs of their own weightlifting club, coaches of their own weightlifting club, we are where it's at and we are the ones that are going to make the next Olympian. It's us. Yep. It's not anyone else. It's our responsibility. So what weightlifters, weightlifting coaches have to do, they have to realize where they're at, what can they offer a particular lifter at a particular level and they need to know how they're going to develop themselves and how they can develop the lifter. So Simon, you've spoken about this. You had a great point about, yeah. do you want, do you want to clarify what you think? We had a great chat really for the guys listening and Simon just came out and goes, well, I think everyone's a good coach. Did I? Yeah, you did. It was, it was, it was very eye opening, and, um, but you broke it down for everyone's a, is a good coach for whatever level they should be coaching at. Yeah. Thanks, Daz. That's exactly what I said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, um, for me, uh, over the, over the next little while, it has a lot to do with, um, honest performance from a coaching aspect going, do I have what it takes to take, uh, an athlete to the next level? And if I can't do it, I have to be honest with myself and with my athletes and make uh, let them move on. And that's something that I've had to do uh, when I was a younger coach and go, look, I, I am not ready. And I'm happy to say that those athletes went on to do some pretty good things in the sport. But that that's for me from a coaching aspect is if, if we are serious about um, producing good athletes, and this is uh, completely aside from a, sorry, a business model, if we're serious, we have to be – uh, very honest about our coaching ability, and it's it's something you talk about in your business structure with uh, amateur, semi-pro, professional. If you don't know where you're at, your athletes are never going to get to where they need to be. That's my view on it, anyway. Yeah, and it's totally legit. And there is nothing wrong with um with like when you do a self analysis, there is nothing actually wrong when you when you figure out that you're on the amateur level because yeah. again, that's amateur level in terms of experience and and know-how resources, it doesn't mean that you're amateur in attitude and that you're a shit person. It just means, look, I'm really suited for this. Now, you could be an amateur-level business owner and employ professional coaches. You can totally do that. There's nothing wrong with that. You're still the boss. So a lot of people will get into small gym businesses um, and they're doing it from a pure ego perspective. It's like, I want to be in charge of something. That's dangerous. And it's dangerous when, and we see it, um, with some, some small clubs and small businesses 
particularly in CrossFit as well, is that that owner of that or that coach of that business will make their clients so indebted to them and so guilt-ridden that they'll never be able to leave. Um, and they'll lie to their clients. It's like, well, I can take you to XYZ. You know, use the CrossFit example. Well, I can get you the CrossFit Games. They've never produced a CrossFit Games athlete. They've only, you know, they may have produced teams or whatever, like, but that's irrelevant to a games athlete. You know, that's one person versus a team of four. Um, it's, it's like, oh, you can't leave. You know, I've taken you from here to there and it might have just been their innate ability or it might be a geography reason. It's like, oh, well, I've got, you know, I've got this one weightlifter. Pit Malone and, you know, I've got her to World Champs and Com Games. And it's like, well, that's just because she lives in the same town as you, you know. Yeah. Like it could be one of those factors or it could be, oh, no, no, I'm not that bad. I've got other international athletes and all this sort of shit. Um, but, yeah, analyze where you're at. Mm. Put, put a plan together on how you're going to develop your people. So yeah. uh, my big thing is that I want my worst athlete to look better than somebody else's best athlete. Yeah. So I want my just say it's a it's a weightlifter and it's like okay just say it's my numbers snatch twenty five kilos clean and jerk forty. You're an animal, mate. Pull me back. Yeah. (laughs) So you know I might come absolutely last in every single competition I do, but my form is going to look on point. Yeah. Like because if I'm if my form is right, eventually things are going to kick in and I will get better. But if my form looks like shit, then my business looks like shit. That's how I judge people, um, and I, and that's how I do it in CrossFit too. It's like you go, you'll go to like a weekend competition somewhere, and you're watching people that have clearly not been taught the proper technique, yeah. and and they're jacked, which is a big question mark. But it's like, well, how the fuck? Like, what are you paying for? Like, hmm. what actually are you paying for? Because you haven't learned anything. You're just doing stuff fast. And it's the same yeah. in weightlifting. It's like you see someone go to a, to a, you know a small comp like states or nationals, right? And you're watching them, and you're like, "Holy fuck!" Like if you, you know, you've said this too. Everyone has said it. It's like, wow, if that person worked with X, Y, and Z, they would be <laughs> they would be something. Yeah. Or or yeah, that person's really good. But imagine if they could work with anyone else, they would be even better. And and you yeah. do that by judging form. You don't just <laughs> you don't just look at them and go. Oh wow, they just muscle cleaned that and then fucking I'm pretty sure there's a press out. Yeah. <laughs> and you go, Oh yeah, that's impressive. You just straight yeah. away you go back on the coach and go, yeah. Okay, that athlete's shit. What are the rest of their athletes like? Yeah. <laughs> and then oh yeah, right. So they all move like shit. Well that's a shit coach. Yeah. Uh, that's it's hilarious. Just <laughs> the little point that I take out is I was actually having this discussion last night. Wait, lifting is such a hypothetical sport. It's all you do as a coach now. You know, you've been around, or you sit there and go, oh, fuck, that athlete could have been something. Or, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. imagine they moved up a weight class. Oh, God, oh. this is like, well, they didn't, so move on. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so true, man. It's so uh, true. But, yeah. But yeah. no, that, that, that's a, that's a good point you, you make about, yeah, how we assess people and go, yeah, what does yeah. it come down to? What's the next step for them? Yeah. All right. So we, we have, all right. So you, you're telling athletes, get your bodies right over the next sort of three months. Yep. Our coaches have to, and our leaders of our club have to give the direction of where we're going. What is the direction, does? All right, we're two years from Tokyo. Well, um, it's a tough one. Usually I get paid for this sort of answer. I'll see you a beer later. Okay, done. 
um, a beer off you is more valuable than a you know <laughs> fifty grand consulting geek on the average. Um, so if we if we look at weightlifting as as a sport, when and again, I'm not judging personalities at all at any level. If we look at our quality of athletes, we have to bring our quality of athletes up. We have to bring them, and so we break down quality into physicality and potential. So we've got some great athletes. We've got some not so great athletes. So for, for both of those reasons, we've got some athletes on the cusp that have great potential in terms of talent. We have athletes on the cusp that have great physical potential in terms of physical attributes. We have to develop the rest of the pool because we've seen the pool and we've seen that it's, it's lacking. Yep. Um, and again, that is not personality based at all. And I'm just, I'm, I'm talking about athletes at the moment. I'll get into coaches in a second. Yeah. So we then, as club owners, we then have to look at our pool of athletes and go, okay, do I have a pool of athletes that are all like sloppy and floppy, which is obviously not healthy or, and, or do I have a group of athletes that are technically sloppy and floppy? So yeah. it's like body composition is, is a very important thing. You can't just be like, oh, well, I'll just be a super heavy because I don't like cardio and I, and I like eating. That's unacceptable because if your body is spending a lot of its time trying to keep you alive, trying to keep you pre-diabetic, trying to keep you away <laughs> from diabetes, trying to keep you recovering from hangovers, that obviously it can't exert its force at 100% effort because it's got some of its, some of the body's energy going towards survival mechanisms yeah so you have to be healthy and unfortunately healthy does mean you have to limit your body fat percentage like you have to regardless of you know imagine super heavyweights that were jacked yeah bam then we've got a fucking sport yeah 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 imagine imagine really lightweight lifters that aren't skinny fat Mm. Bam. then we've got a sport like you have to be physically prepared to train because weightlifting, if you want to progress the sport, and we are talking about how we're going to grow the sport, therefore we need numbers at a national level. So unfortunately, that means you will look like a track athlete. Yeah. You have to be muscular. You can't just be in a weight class because that's just where you sit naturally. Like, mm-hmm. uh, And also, you can't be in a weight class because you cut five kilos. Like, yeah. that's, that's unacceptable because cutting doesn't work in terms of maintaining strength. doesn't matter who you are. So I, I personally want to see like a UFC rule that they proposed in the UFC, which was you can't you can't fight at a weight one or two kilos away from your training weight. So yeah. just as Asada turn up to do a spot drug test, Asada can turn up and do a body weight test. Okay. I want to see that because that's going to be healthier for the sport and it's also going to be healthier for the individual to, to avoid these stupid weight cuts because, you know, why do fighters cut weight? Because they're hiding away from guys who punch harder. Yeah. Why do weightlifters want to cut weight? Because you're hiding away from people who are stronger. So yeah. I, I don't want to see that hiding. I want to see you take your competition head on and fucking go for it. No. So that's the athlete side of things. Yes. You have to look at your your pool of athletes and think, can I make them technically better? Can I make them physically better? Yeah. Then you've got to look at your coaches and, and yourself included. Mm. Am I technically good enough? And do I have the time available? Yeah. And that, and that means, am I getting paid for it as well? So you cannot provide first aid if you're in danger yourself. So 
I know of weightlifting coaches who have, whose partners have left them, who've lost their homes, who have can't pay rent because they're so wrapped up in an amateur sport that they're, that they're sacrificing themselves for it. Like that's stupid. That's, you can't live your life like that because on your deathbed, no one's going to give a fuck that you coach somebody to a PB. Yeah. Like let's, let's all be honest. It's like, this is for us to be, to get results at the international level, we've got to be professional and have professional thinking. No one's yeah. going to get a statue for them because they devoted their whole life to someone's amateur sport. Let's, mm-hmm. yeah, let's, let's keep the fucking, let's not keep that dream world happening. Yeah. There's, <laughs> um, it's an interesting point that I want to move on to here in light of that. Yeah, we probably need to take the uh, professional approach. We need to get paid. But if we're taking an athlete to the absolute pinnacle of this sport, the Olympic Games, yeah. is there some <clears throat> level of personal involvement that has to happen where you go, all right, the money, I need to be paid, but I also need to put in some extra time? Uh, it's a tough one again because, again, amateur sport, yeah. pinnacle, nothing's really supporting us along the way other than our coaches, clubs, and all that sort of stuff. Well, I, I can talk to this <laughs> I can talk to this point very succinctly and in great detail to anyone who wants to really get into the nuts and bolts but, yeah. because I've done this. I've done that exact scenario over five different sports yeah. uh, at international level and not one of them have been worth it. Yeah. Not one. Because I do this as a career and I'm very good at it and somebody has to pay for that. It's exactly the same as a doctor volunteering their life for uh, the Red Cross or whatever. That, like, no one volunteers. That doctor is still getting paid. (laughs) That's super important to realise that. Also, if you're not getting paid, and you've touched on this, you brought this up a few times, if you're not getting paid, you've got a level of deniability. Yeah. And it's like a lack of accountability. And it's like, oh, well, you know, like, uh, it could be you're on a dry tour you're at world champs and no one's supposed to drink and you're the coach and blah, blah, and you've had a tough day. And it's like, oh, fuck it, I'm going to go have a beer. Yeah. And then you have a beer, you have a few beers. You cannot tell me, because I've done it, that the next day you're operating on all cylinders. Ah, 100%. You can't do it. Yeah. So, but you, but then you get to fall back and say, well, fuck it, I'm not getting paid. I'll do it all. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. okay, well, that we they're not wrong, but mm. for us to grow the sport, we can't have that. We, we also can't have, and this is for another podcast, we also can't have non-personal coaches responsible for an athlete's weights and attempts. Yeah. That's unacceptable. That can't happen ever again. And yeah. we've, we've seen that at the Con Games. Um, yeah. That, that's another podcast. Um, basically, for the sport to grow... We can't keep doing, as in weightlifting the community, we can't keep doing what we've already done because it doesn't work. And yeah. sport, obviously, all the dudes in the 70s and 80s are on fucking steroids. Let's not hide mm. away from that fact. doesn't mean yeah. that they're shit people. It doesn't mean that they weren't didn't work hard. But it does mean that what they did is out of the reach of the modern-day athlete because they were fucking like racehorses. Yeah. So let's acknowledge that without in, insulting it. Yeah. So... We can't do and have people involved in the 80s still having leading hands in what the sport does. And it's not out of jealousy. It's not out of animosity. It's simply because there's new times. It's a new time. There's new athletes and there's new ways of doing things that have come with new science studies. So 
you have to keep up with the times. Every other country is doing it. Yeah. And and what they'll say is, oh, well, China's on gear and India's on gear and Fijians don't, like, drug test and Pacific nations don't drug test. They don't even have their own anti-doping association. Pakistan don't drug test, Iraq don't drug test, Bulgaria yeah. play the game. You've got all these excuses, but the bottom line is they're all using the latest protocols to train. Yeah. So, like, an example is oh, everyone raves about the Bulgarian system. Mm. And to a degree, our... Our method of training in GCS is, is similar to the Bulgarian system in terms of, you know, we, we go for volume when we can get it. Yeah. We go for PBs when we can get them, within reason. Mm. But I'm not on drugs. Yeah. And, and guess what? Bulgaria don't do their own system. Mm. That's what they did in the 70s and 80s. They don't do it anymore. Mm. So why have we got people doing that? Yeah. Like having that old, old mentality. It's like you've got to get with the times. Well, that's that's it's so funny you say that. Um, I had one of my first coaches, great greater lifter, um, Sebdil Marinov, come in the other day, and when I knew Sebby, I was very young, and you know, I wasn't into coaching. I was very much into lifting, and never asked him. I straight up asked him the other day, "What was the Bulgarian system like?" You know, he grew up in it. He was the best of the best in the Bulgarian system, and it's. And he's like, his first answer was, no one can do it. Like, it just, <laughs> it just, it just, it just, it just, like, we don't, there are so many factors. One being, we don't have a centralized system. So, how are you going to, how are you going to do the Bulgarian system? Yeah. How are you going to train the way their seniors trained when you didn't train the way they did as juniors? Like, juniors, like, yeah. Yeah. you know, the, they came from a strength and conditioning background yeah. uh, as juniors. It's like, so how can you do that without the six years of base work? Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, the, that sort of stuff really amuses me. Exactly what you're saying. It's like if if a country's not doing that system anymore, why are we trying to replicate it? Yeah, yeah. And it's fan, it's fantasy. No one knows exactly what it was. That yeah. brings up a really good point, mate. Is that if just say you want to you want to gear your business to fundamental athletes or amateur athletes, which mm. I think you should. Those um, back in the day when strength and conditioning was invented. All of the athletes, imagine all your Olympic sports, they would all train the same strength and conditioning program. So it's what we do with GCS3. We've got yeah. multiple sports training the same program because there's only so many ways to develop two arms and two legs and a torso. Yeah. There's only so many ways. So all the athletes would just, for instance, they would say train in the, in the morning doing the uh, S&C program, then of an afternoon, then the track coach would come in, the gymnastic coach would come in, the weightlifting coach would come in, and they would pick people on body type and skill levels. And they'd say, yeah. he's going to be a weightlifter, she's going to be a weightlifter, that's a gymnast, that's a diver, that's a sprinter, blah, blah, blah. That's how you develop weightlifters. You hmm. do not develop weightlifters by grabbing them at a young age and saying, you're only going to weightlift now. That, yeah. is, that is categorically wrong. And uh, I've forgotten the gentleman's name, but he used to be a target identification officer for the AIS. And he had a presentation where he says that anything you do below the age of 14 means nothing. Mm. It absolutely means nothing in terms of being a predictor for a professional career. So, like, in my sport of, of rugby and rugby league, they would, like, there's all these parents now that are like, oh, yeah, because kids get contracted down at 12, they're typically Polynesian or Aboriginal background because they develop so much sooner and they're built like fucking men. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm glad I'm not playing anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would get destroyed. But they'll sign this and little Timmy will, you know, little Timmy's just playing the game because he loves it. But then dad was a frustrated footballer and he wants little Timmy to have a career. And it's yeah. like, well, fuck, mate, you're five foot. Timmy's not going to have a fucking career. 
It doesn't yeah. matter that he was the under fourteen champion or you know, pick AFL, he was the under fourteen's, you know, leading goal goal scorer. Who gives a fuck? He's fourteen. <laughs> like nothing yeah. matters. And like and that is across the board with all junior sports. Like none of them matter. None of them transition. Like yeah. very few elite athletes transition from junior to senior champion. Very few. So if you've got an amateur service that you want to offer, like or foundational service you want to offer, focus on you know, half your time on your sport, on your weightlifting sport, the other half the time on strength and conditioning. Make that person as resilient as possible so when they do want to transition, if they want to transition in later years, they can handle the volume of weightlifting. Yeah. Because weightlifting is a lot of volume. Even if the weights are light, it's a lot of reps at, yeah. at 100% effort. That's, yeah. that's taxing. Yeah. All right, so all right, we, we, we are starting to build a little plan here. All right? Again, athletes taking some time off, getting their bodies right. Yeah. All right. Coaches, developing athletes, clubs, getting better athletes in and taking the time to develop them. Yep. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a point here or you know, put a thought out there that it is probably too late for any athlete currently in the country that was not in the top 10 for Tokyo. So December 31st last year, yeah. if you were not in the top 10, you're not going to go to Tokyo. All right. That's, well, let me say it could happen, yeah. but it shouldn't happen. Yeah. All right. Our, our top 10 in each category should be fighting for how many ever places we're able to qualify. What do we do with our current crop of lifters to ensure that we have the best battle for Tokyo? And what are we doing to make sure that the younger ones are there in Birmingham for 2022? That is a fantastic observation. Yeah. And I agree, I agree with it on two factors. Oh, excuse me, on two factors. So there's chronological age, like the year you were born and how old you are now. And then there's yeah. training age. So when I look at an athlete, they might be 30, but their training age could be two because yeah. they've only done the sport for two years. So usually you've got training age potential up to eight years, five years on the average. So I look at that particular example and go, okay, I've got, I can improve this person for two years and after that they're going to taper off yeah. regardless of their chronological age. So with your statement and saying, you know, outside of the top 10, you've probably got no chance for Tokyo, I, I agree with it if they don't change what they're doing now. Yeah. I totally agree with that. What's got to happen for the benefit of Australian weightlifting is that some coaches – have to tell their athletes to go elsewhere. Yeah. They have to because if you've had an athlete and they've plateaued, that's your fault, not the athlete's fault. That is 100% the coach's fault. So you have to be big enough to get in ex like uh, external help. So I know there's some some clubs that are, that are doing um, getting in S&C people, they're getting in gymnastics people, which is good, but then the count the other side of the coin to that is, well, why doesn't your coach know that stuff? Because some of the stuff yeah. I see is rudimentary, basic. It's like, okay, mm -hmm. you should leave that coach because they're shit. Yeah. Um, with developing the next crop of people, we have to, and a little segue to the Barbell series. Yes. Is we have to allow people to go for broke and fail doing what they want to do it's it's absolutely paramount because you can't you don't know the limit of your capabilities unless you go to the limit and 
I constantly say this with uh, weightlifting, is that as a nation, we have to drop this six out of six bullshit. We have to drop it. If your athlete needs confidence to go, okay, in this competition, we're shooting for six out of six to build their confidence, that means they're not training properly. That means they're not confident. That means you're doing a shit job as a coach. Why isn't your athlete confident? Because we're putting too much pressure on things that don't matter. So yeah. leading up into Tokyo, the qualifying criteria came out last week. There was this very confusing email <laughs> about, you know, there's there's levels of qualification competitions and certain levels offer certain points. And for you to qualify yourself, you have to accumulate certain points. Yeah. So what you need to do, so as far as I'm concerned, Everything outside of Olympic qualifiers mean nothing. State titles mean nothing. Nationals mean nothing. Unless you have a sponsorship where you've got an incentive based into the sponsorship contract, then that's totally yep. fine. But outside of that, who gives a fuck? Like, mm. for me, as a relative newcomer to weightlifting, weightlifting is an Olympic sport. So, in my mind, it only happens once every four years. Mm. Uh, it's also a com game sport. It only happens every four years. So as an Australian being part of the Commonwealth, you're really only competing once every two years. Mm. That, that's for me in my, in my mind. So why the fuck are you running around doing everything else that doesn't fucking matter? Coaches yeah. have to be focused on getting athletes to the Olympics. They have to be focused on getting athletes to the next Com Games because, unfortunately, nationals don't matter. States don't matter. Like it, it, it's, it's gobbledygook. It doesn't mean anything. Like on your deathbed, you lifting a weight to get fucking, you know, the imaginary state of Wakanda, a fucking state, <laughs> a state title back in 2019 isn't yeah. going to mean fucking shit. Mm. So what we're doing is, you know, you're either a part of the problem or a part of the solution and you're involved with this, which I'm really stoked about is the barbell series is that we want to provide weightlifters with stress-free environments where they can win actual money. Yeah. They, they can earn their training fees. Yeah. So, oh, this, is, this is quite literally a, a quote from one of the athletes that interested in entering. I've never seen anyone incentivize weightlifting yeah. <laughs> outside, like, outside of a medal. It's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. It's insane. Like you, you, can't, yeah. you can't cash in your plastic trophy to pay for your house rent. You yeah. can't cash in your T-shirt or your free protein to pay a telephone bill. It's like yeah. everyone needs money, athletes, coaches, everyone needs money, so put the fucking money where people need it. So yeah. the Barbell Series, we're offering all the weight, all the current weight classes. Um, I think the girls have eight spots, the guys have seven spots across all the weight classes. Is that right? Per, per weight class, yeah. Is yeah. That, am I not right? I thought we had eight and eight, but never mind. Don't worry. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. This yeah. screw, screw gender equality, I guess he's saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's eight and eight. And then um, yeah. where if you win your category, you, you win 200 bucks. Yep. If you win the Sinclair overall for your gender, you'll win another $800. So you can walk away yeah. with a thousand bucks. There's also going to be other prizes that I won't announce yet. Um, there's, yeah. there's another very lucrative GCS particular prize that I told you about the other day that I'm yeah. I'm really pumped about. That's an extra two hundred bucks. Yeah, um, oh, you've, you you got to give that one away. Like, I know I know there's like I'm not going to say it unless Daz says it. No, but no, okay, I, know, okay. I, I know there are a few people out there that are like, if I knew about this, they're going to start training and they're going to enter. Okay, so <laughs> I'm going to give I'm going to give an extra two hundred bucks for whoever does the best squat jerk. 
So <laughs> it's got to be successful. It has to be a successful lift. It has to be fucking heavy and, and it's got to look good. So it's purely, it's a purely, um, subjective prize, but it's my 200 bucks. So I'm going to throw it out. However, <laughs> fair enough. And just, just that's to clarify that Daz is indeed obsessed with the squat jerk. Oh, and I that fucking love the squat jerk. And everyone should squat jerk. Even if you can't, you squat jerk. <laughs> yeah, power jerk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, power jerk. Do yeah, something. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's what we're going to do the barbell series. So, this first one we're doing at the Mighty Hawthorne Club at the Alico Weightlifting Centre in, uh, in Hawthorne, Victoria. Um, first of all, I love that venue. It's very inspiring. As a non weightlifter, I, I enjoy going to that gym. I love visiting it. It's, it just reeks of weightlifting. It's fucking sick. Um, we want to offer weightlifters a chance to fucking go out there, not give a fuck about six out of six, not give a fuck about an official total. We're still following the rules of weightlifting. Um, we're only going to use one central judge, not three judges. There's going to be no weightlifting jury. It'll just be Simon. Hopefully he's sober enough to, to go with you. No guarantees. No, yeah, no guarantees. <laughs> Um, we're going to live stream it. So if you are sponsored, by all means, wear your sponsored gear, wear your club shirt, wear your CrossFit gym shirt, promote where you come from. Um, we're going to have live stream in the warm up area. So, you know, as an example, it could be Simon's about to walk onto the stage to get, you know, 200 kilo squat jerk and we're going to jam a camera in his face saying, how are you feeling, mate? So yeah, we're, we're going to do things. Yeah, yeah, you'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, we're going to do things a little differently from a traditional weightlifting uh, event because we don't have to adhere to certain rules to make the total official. Um, we're going to have our own running scoreboard for future events, our own future standings. There's going to be a constructors championship that we're talking about, which is like a, a club's championship based on the Formula One model. Um, we've got another couple of variations of some events that we want to do in the future but again it's all about we want lifters on the platform going for broke and we're going to support them win lose or draw regardless because we know how hard it is to lift by yourself in a room with everyone staring at you it's very easy yeah. in your crossfit gym when you're in the back of the room if you know 15 20 people and you're just banging out you know volume you know you might be doing grace you might be doing 30 clean and jerks for time it's very easy to do that when, but it's horrible when the whole class stops and watches you. That's weightlifting. <laughs> so we want pe- we want to expose people to being on the platform by themselves with no pressure, because there is pressure involved. Like you can't. It's all about like in rugby term, in rugby terms, it's match fitness. We can play. We we can be in preseason and we can play. You know, ones versus twos. For, for three months, but coming to your first match of the season, you're going to be blowing wind, you're going to be out of shape, and the opposition isn't your mate. So he's probably trying to take your head off. So you're going to get banged up, you're going to get bruised, shit's not going to work properly because the other person wants you to fucking lose. Well, that's what a weightlifting competition's like. It's yeah. like, and there's no animosity, but it's like, fuck, for me to win, someone's got to lose. Yeah. And then as soon as you think that, if you're, if you're not courageous or if you've got a shit coach, Straight away, it's like, okay, what's your opener? It's like a person might be capable of opening at fucking 95, 98 kilos, but because on game day, it's like, oh, I'm nervous. I'm only going to open on fucking 90. Well, no, fuck that. Be courageous. Because yeah. on, the, on the world stage, for Australia to win medals, you've got to have a big set of brass balls. So mm. fucking go for it. And we need, as a country and as a community, we need those lifters to know that we support them going for broke. Yeah, we support them doing it. 
There's, 100%. And there's stigma on bombing. There's stigma on six out of six. Like that is just loser mentality because you don't go home coming 10th and get to say, oh, I got six out of six. Like at the world stage, like we don't give a fuck. It's irrelevant. That's All right. Well, so we've got the Barbell Series. For those who don't know, it is going to be June the 9th. Uh, You can find out more details on Facebook, Instagram, and and our own website, thebarbellseries.com. Make sure you register your, your spot. It's going to be a great, great event. It's for novice to advanced lifters, but like Dad said, most of the thing, everyone's supported. It's going to be a great day. It's going to be sick. Like we, we, there's one, uh, there's one lifter that's going to sign up, and he's represented Australia a few times. And I, you know, I told him what we're doing. He's like, "Fuck, that's cool. I'm just going to do my maxes, like from <laughs> from openers, like just yeah. to, he, you know, he might not make a lift or he might make all of them, but it's going to be fucking sick to watch." Because how, like, what about when we when we were at uh, trials and we were watching Scene up against Kiana? Oh, how good was it? It how was, good. the drama was amazing. And both lifters did extremely well. And it, was, it wasn't about who won. It was about the show that was put on. The crowd oh. appreciated it. It was fucking sick. Yeah. So what yeah. we're doing is we're, we're manufacturing that environment straight away and you can go for broke on your first fucking lift like fucking go for it oh and another slight rule change like just so you don't make any snatches you're not out of the competition you can still come out and do your cleaning jerks yeah so there's none of that stupid shit or you can't play anymore well fucking why not yeah yeah i've paid my fee i want to i want to do my six attempts yeah bloody earth Oh, no, it's it's great, and uh, big thank you to Victorian Weightlifting Association for allowing us to have it in the venue, and thanks to the Hawthorne Club and obviously GCS and everyone getting behind this. Um, yeah, it's going to be great. I can't wait. It's going to be it's going to be epic. It's going to be you know we want to provide again. I keep harping on the point, but it's going to be a fun environment where other weightlifters are around you. Yep, you can win. You can go for the win if you want, or you can just go for the experience. Yeah. everyone's there for whatever they're there for and nobody's there to put shit on anyone else. It's going to be great. Absolutely. Uh, well, I think that's uh, about all we've uh, got time for today. Uh, Daz, thank you so much for uh, basically giving away $50,000 worth of your apprenticeships and whatnot and information. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I mean, D- Daz, you know, does keep his secrets close to his heart, but he does have a, another business podcast, uh, Daz and Tucker, that you should listen to. But uh, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with myself and everyone listening to us. No, thank you, Simon. Like, it's, it's great um, knowing you, meeting you, working with you. And it, and it gives me um, confidence that there's a younger generation in Australian weightlifting that do care. And regardless of what other people think, just as much as the old timers, even, <laughs> even, even more so. And, uh, you know, let's, let's all work together at the club level and grow this sport because the attention that we're getting from other athletes into the sport once a few things get fixed up like weightlifting will boom that's it uh yeah i can't can't agree with you more about that sort of stuff growing the sport starts starts at the smallest level uh to get us to the biggest level but until next time everyone thanks for listening hope you enjoyed it and uh we'll be in touch soon thanks mate take care